Jonah. We did two chapters last week, and Lord willing, we'll do two chapters now. You can be seated if you like. Um, It's a book that we said is a book that really displays God's sovereignty. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I wrestle with it, even last week. It's the book about Jonah, it's the book about Nineveh, it's the book about, you know, a giant fish. What is the book? And I have concluded that the book is about God. It is about God and it's totally about God. Everybody else is just there to make him look good and show who he is. Anyway, I want to read the last two. um, The last two chapters. The beauty of Jonah is... Is so short. God, can, God has the ability to say so much in so little time and words that if we would learn that, it would be so great for us. But anyway, I should practice what I preach and just cut reading. <laughs> and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Oh, the second time. Always the second time is a little easier than the first. Actually, it's a little harder. And arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, preaching uh, that I bid thee. So Jonah rose, went up to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, about three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. He cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He didn't ask them to repent. He didn't tell them get right. He he didn't do all he said is, I am going to destroy this city. And and 40 days, this place is a ghost town. It is a parking lot in 40 days. That's all the message was. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne. He laid his robe from from him. He covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that's in their high hands. Who can tell if God will repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do to them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. He prayed the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repents thee of, of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Last time he said these very same words, he jumped in the water and a fish got him. It wasn't long, he was down in the bottom of the sea, in the bar, seaweed wrapped around his head, crying out, Oh God, I've been delivered to hell and I don't like it here. Please deliver me from this. And the fish spit him out. He's back to his old ways. It's better for me to die. And Jonah uh, went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made him a booth. And he sat in it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. We see the picture of him up here, sitting there in a booth, pouting away. And the Lord prepared a gourd, and he made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. But God prepared a worm 
when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on the head of Jonah. And he fainted and wished for himself to die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Do you well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I am well to be angry for the gourd, even unto death. And then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd which you didn't do any labor for, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, then it cannot discern even between their right and left hand, and so much cattle. You can be seated if you like. This is not a book about who we are or about what we do. It is a book that declares the sovereignty of God, and our relationship with him is not based on us. It's based on him and him alone, and that's what the book is going to show us. Everybody in this book repents. Jonah fled away. He repented from being a prophet, and he ran into He ran to the end of the world. He tried going to Spain as far away as he could possibly get. The storm blew up and the sailors repented. And when Jonah was cast into the sea and they saw the power and work of God, it says they turned not only from their evil ways, not only from their idols, but they turned towards Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. They had relationship with him. Jonah in the bottom of the fish, in the bottom of the sea, he repented. He realized that running is not the way and I really don't want to die. Even though I keep saying it four or five times in the book, I really don't want to die. It is not the way out. It is not the escape. I did want to die, but I tasted death. I know what it is. I've seen a little bit of it, and I'm repenting, and I want out. The fish repented because it swallowed Jonah. It thought it had a good meal, realized it had a, a, a potent prophet, and did not like the potent prophet. And it swam to shore, and poo, spit him out. The fish repented. He went to Nineveh. No, Jonah repented again. Now he's ready to go. The, the people of Nineveh repented. They changed their mind. I I. I We don't want to be destroyed. We don't want to be a parking lot. We don't want to be an ash heap. They repented. And then it comes back to Jonah again. And Jonah is right back where he was. Everybody in this book repented. God repented. He was going to destroy Nineveh. And the last verse of chapter 3 says, And God repented. And said, I'm not going to destroy them. For they've turned from their wicked ways. And I, I don't have to do it. Everyone repents. But the book is not about our repentance. It's not about our changing our mind. It's not about what I choose to do or who I am. It is about who God is and what he does. Nineveh. You know, in my notes last week, and actually all the way up till probably 4 o'clock this morning, my notes said, we are Nineveh. And oh, wouldn't it preach so nice? We are Nineveh. We are despicable. We are people that have a reputation, probably the most, the most hated, feared, uh, barbaric uh, group of people, the Assyrians that ever were. We talked last week about some of the things they did, how they'd put people on stakes and impale them, how they'd make piles of heads outside of the, the cities and the villages that they conquered, how that they were so feared that when they come, whole villages would kill themselves rather than fall into the hands of the Assyrians. We talked about how barbaric and how, how hated and, and, and how nasty these people were. And for us to say, I am Nineveh, would be so apropos, wouldn't it? 
I am so bad. I am so evil. I am so sinful. I am so unrighteous. I am so, I am so, I am so. But look what God has done. He's come to me and his grace has given me an opportunity to come to him and repent. I am Nineveh. But you know something? I'm not Nineveh. I'm worse than Nineveh. I'm worse. I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. You know why? We have a way. We, want, we look at things. And when I entitled this sermon, The Prodigal Prophet, I did that because of the similarities, the parallels between this book of Jonah and the prodigal son, the, the story we call the prodigal son. And in the prodigal son, we have the, the younger son. And the younger son he, he, he just has a hunger for somewhere else. He just has to go. And so he gets his stuff. He forsakes the father. He forsakes the heritage. He forsakes his place. He forsakes the family. And he goes to pursue something he, he thought was better. Jonah is a running uh, younger brother. He has to get away. He forsakes his, his, his pedigree and his, his, his place as a prophet. He's going to get away. He's going to run. He's going to go someplace. But in that first brother, he also, after a little while, he, when the money ran out and the good times were done, he found himself in the pigs, feeding the pigs and, and watching after pigs. And isn't that where Jonah found himself? In chapter 2, he founds himself in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea, the bars around him, the seaweed on his head. He realizes he's in the depths of Sheol, in hell, in the grave. And he, and he too comes to his sense a little bit. He cries out to God and he says, oh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be like the guy who's 2,000 years, or no, he's about 800 years from now. I'm going to be like the guy who 800 years from now is going to come back home, the guy that Jesus talked about. I'm going to be like him. And so he, he repents in the belly and the fish spits him out. But you know, when we get to chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's no longer the younger son. He's the older son. He's the older brother who sees the young son come back. He's the older brother who sees a need for mercy. He's the one who sees an opportunity to have mercy, to commiserate with somebody who's, who's, who's done wrong. And he says, no, I'm not going there. Forget that. It doesn't matter what God has washed me from. It doesn't matter where God has taken me from. I don't remember where God, that was yesterday. And this is today. I'm not looking at yesterday. I'm not remembering yesterday. Yesterday, I needed something. And today, I think in my own mind that I'm doing so well. How soon we forget. How soon we forget. How soon Jonah forgot that, you know, yesterday I won't go. Today I'm in the whale's belly. And, and, and how soon he forgot all of a sudden his repentance when he was down there in the depths of hell. How qualified he was to preach to this people. Nobody could preach to them like Jonah could. Jonah knew what it was. He, he wasn't some guy who can gleefully talk about destruction and death and hell. Anybody who can gleefully talk about destruction and death and hell probably should just refrain from talking about it. He could talk about it because he had been there. He had experienced it. He had the marks and scars on his body of being in a fish's belly for three days. Whatever amount of deterioration he had, he had enough that you could look at him and you knew this guy was in hell. This guy probably had the hair burned all off him, his pigmentation in his skin all gone. He looked like some kind of freak. I, I, I really believe that. I have no doubt about that. He came back from 
him death and his fish spit him up on the shore. He knew all about death. He knew all about destruction. He knew all about hell. He knew all about the pain and suffering and what they were ready to go through. When he told them in 40 days, God's going to wipe this place out, he was a guy to be listened to because he knew what he was talking about. God gives us some experiences so that we are capable and able and can relate to people in a way that, that a lot of folks can't. Some of the things we go through, some of the fish bellies we go through, some of the depths of the sea we go through are for a reason. And don't forget all about it because it was yesterday and today you think you're all, we're all, you know, we're so cute. <laughs> I used the word in the first service that, that I've kind of coined. It's my own word. And uh, Brother Mike, I don't know if you ever heard this one, but it's cutified. We get cutified. We, we think, you know, I'm so special now. I forgot who I was. I, I, I say all the time, I have a special relationship, a special way I can relate to really knuckleheads, really knuckleheads. They're, they're my, they're, I relate to them so well. I, I could just relate to them. There are people I don't relate well to. I relate really well to knuckleheads, to wise guys, to just, just, just. Just knucklehead, I guess, is the best word for it. And I relate so well to them because I, I speak the language. I know the language. I speak the language well. I relate well. I don't relate to cutified. I don't relate to all uppity and fancy and nice and perfect. I just don't know that. I don't know the language. I don't know that the people that think they are that know the language. Because I don't know that anybody is that. But some people put it on. But I have no problem putting on knucklehead and communicating. I know the language. I learned it well. I am bilingual. (laughs) I, I could speak knucklehead. And while a lot of people are intimidated and they don't know how to handle it's like, oh, no, we get along great. You instantly can talk to these guys and we we know we can communicate because I've been there. I've lived it for so long. Nineveh is a place that was scary. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and I'll tell you why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he was a Jew. He lived next door to Nineveh. The barbarism of Nineveh was known to him. And there's another reason he didn't want to go there. And, and, and I learned another new word this week, but I think it's really a word because I learned it from a guy that's a smart guy. And it's um, othering. Ever hear the phrase othering? I'll tell you what othering is. Okay? I'll share with you what I learned this week. Othering is when you characterize people in such a way that you, you put them in a little box. You kind of dehumanize them. Othering is what allows people to get to a stage where they can watch other people being loaded on trains and being taken to death camps and they can sit by and do nothing because they have been so conditioned to look at some other people as they're other than, they're different, they're, they're something else. And that conditioning works in me. So when I see egregious stuff, I can, I can kind of justify it somehow because they're different. They're not like me. Othering is a thing that allows people to take other people and capture them and enslave them and put them in bondage and treat them as less than human because they've been conditioned in their head to look at them as something other than. Not people. 
Not like me. Not with the same heart and mind and, and passion and love and desire and everything else. They're other than. Othering is what makes people in our time, in our very polarized society, look at one side, we'll look at people on a political end of the spectrum and look at the people on the other end and say they're no good. They're evil. They're not people. They need to be put in gulags and have themselves retrained. They have to have their, um, their thought processes retrained and calibrated to conform to our way of looking at it. Well, at the same time, the people over here, they look at them and they say the exact same thing. They're, they're messed up. How do they dare? How can they see things that way? How can they have that point of view? How can they have that philosophy? How can they look at things that way? There, we categorize them and make them so that they're not even human. They need to go to a gulag and have their thought processes recalibrated. They need to come to our way of thinking. We can't tolerate each other. We make tolerance intolerable. We preach tolerance above all else to the point where we make it intolerable. Othering. Making someone else other to the point where we dehumanize them and we bring ourselves to a condition where it's okay to look at them that way. The Ninevites, they were good at othering. You can't be as brutal and savage. You can't do the things that they did and have a society that they had if you didn't have a way of looking at others that way. They're less than us. They are not, they're, they're inferior to us. They are not human like us. They don't feel like us. They don't have rights like us. They don't have, they're not like us. They're other. And so we can kill them and slaughter them and, and kill their children and take them as slaves and do whatever we want to them. And Jonah was guilty of othering because he was a prophet prophet of the Jews and he could look at these people and he could look at their barbarous acts and he can say they're not even human these people are animals they're animals have you ever heard anyone use that expression they're animals that's how Jonah would look at them they're animals And I don't want to go and preach to them. I don't want to help them. I don't want to witness to them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't even want to go there and proclaim and rejoice in their destruction. I would rather flee from the God I serve. Get on a boat to the end of the world, which Spain was the end of the world, right? Until Columbus until the Portuguese navigators would go out. It was the end. After Spain, sea monsters dwell here. That's what the maps used to say. I would rather run from God. And when God used his sovereign, persuasive ability (laughs) on Jonah's free will and brought him to the depths of hell, she old, hey, 
He changed his mind. God helped him change his mind. But God still gave him free will. And he went there to preach to them. But in his mind, and we see it from chapter 4, he was not there to preach for them to be saved. He was there to condemn them. Because he was, he was one of those, I'm more holy than you. I'm more righteous than you. I'm one of those special, special people. I talk about her all the time because she's the quintessential example. And that is the Saturday Night Live church lady. <laughs> I am the Saturday Night Church lady. And you Ninevites are influenced by Satan. <laughs> right? And, and that was who he was. Because he was othering. Guilty of the same thing that they were guilty of. Categorizing those people. Uh, you know what? Maybe that's why God picked Jonah. Maybe God really wasn't interested in the Ninevites at all. Maybe he just picked the Ninevites because they were so hated by Jonah. And they were handy. They were next door. He didn't have to send them all the way to, you know, the Far East, the Near East would do. He didn't have to send him down to, you know, some place. He could just send him next door. Sometimes the people, we got a problem with it right next door. And I really think he used this, this occasion. You know what? Later on, 150 years from this, after they, they didn't repent and, and like the sailors did and accept Yahweh, and at the end when they were praying, they were using God's covenantal name, Yahweh. They didn't have that kind of repentance. They just turned from their wicked ways. They just stopped being so nasty. Knock it off back there, for I come, stop this car, and come back there. My friend has that on a little rock outside his house. God, don't make me come down there. This is God. And it's like, that's all. And they just said, I will stop. 150 years later, they would take the northern kingdom of Israel, this same Assyrian people. So this was just a temporary thing for them. But Jonah, this was Jonah's opportunity. I believe God used this opportunity to work on Jonah, to fix Jonah. We have a way of, you know, we can get up and shout and dance and sing talking about sin of the world. And what I mean by sin of the world, you know, you're able to sex and drugs and rock and roll, right? We get off on sex and drugs and rock and roll, and it's like, yeah, and they're bad, but God saved me, and he delivered me from it. Hallelujah! And I, so I don't want to go there. You know what I want to go? I want to go church sin. Because church sin, church sin's right in my back pocket. Church sin stays close. Now, those other things, don't get me wrong. They're following along. They're right there. They're sneaking along, waiting for me to, to, to turn my back, waiting for me to let my guard down. They're waiting for me to sleep so they can come up on me and grab me. But they're not in my back pocket. There was a time they were. There was a time they had me. They had me down, choking me out. But that time isn't now. Again, I know the language, but I don't live there now. But you know, church sin. Oh, church sin. Church sin is the sin that Jonah was all acquainted with. Church sin is what I want to talk about us. Church sin is the sin that, 
that can look at somebody that is where I was yesterday and look at them today and, and have a hard time with them, not relate to them, not love them, not care about them, not want for them what God has done for me. I can look at them and I can be condemning and I can be judgmental and I can be legalistic and I can push condemnation on them because, you know what, maybe that was me yesterday, but this is today. When Jonah went to preach in Nineveh, he may not have been in the whale belly anymore, but he still stunk a fish. I mean, he stunk a fish. You know, he stunk a fish. Don't think we're so reason. And it was yesterday. We got like, you know, like I don't remember yesterday. Like a lot of things I don't remember, but I'm, I'm realizing I don't remember them because I really don't care about them. Because I remember stuff. I can remember stuff when I was six. I can remember stuff when I was a little kid. I remember stuff. But some things I learned yesterday, I don't remember because they're not important to me. We get like that with where we came from. Where'd God take you from? What was your yesterday? Was I in the belly of a fish yesterday? I don't have to look too far. I have a little scar on my head. I don't know if I told you this. I, 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 I tell people this once in a while. Anybody know how I got the scar on my head? Some of you in Bible studies may know. I was a young, a youngster. I was a young Marine. That's youngster. And um, I was in Yuma, Arizona. We were down on deployment, and I was in this place called Pop's Place. See, I've got to remember Pop's Place. So I had to go in the bathroom. So I'm in the men's room, and they had one of those towel dispensers. It has like the looping towel, you know? It, it gave me a hard time. So I ripped it off the wall, and it flew off the wall and smashed me right in the head. <laughs> they didn't have plastic then. That was metal. Big metal towel dispenser flew off the wall, smashed into my head. I went back out, and the rest of the guys were like, what happened? You got jumped in the men's room? I'm like, the towel dispenser. <laughs> It attacked me out of nowhere. I had to defend myself. I had fear for my life. Uh, and so I, I still have a little scar over here. See, it may have been yesterday, but there's things that I carry that remind me of where I was yesterday. There's things that remind me of where I was. Do you relate to yesterday? Remember yesterday. If we remember yesterday, if we remember the stench, if we remember the seaweed, if we remember the, the smell, if we remember the acid of a fish's belly gnawing at us, we won't be so judgmental today about somebody else when it's our turn to go and talk to them in Nineveh. Church sin. Pride. Arrogance. Condemning. Looking at people as other, others, because we don't relate anymore because our memories are so short. But there's not one person that didn't go through the storm before we, he said, peace be still. There's not one of us that didn't go through the whale belly to some extent before he spit us out on dry ground. There's not one of us. There's not one. So I think that God... He used this whole thing because he had a prophet and he wanted to fix this prophet. There are collateral blessings in the process of fixing his prophet. He saved a great nation that had 120,000 people that, as we said last time, were babies. They didn't know their right hand from their left. 
so it was a great city. A great city was saved, I think, as a collateral blessing because God had to save this prophet. And to do it, he had to, he had to do some work to him. He had to really take him. He got two birds with one stone. He saved the people and he saved the prophet. The Pharisees had this kind of religious pride. And Jesus in Matthew 23 would denounce a lot of the Pharisees stuff that they did. And he said in one place, he said, you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. These are little, little herbs like in your window box, your little window box. They were so exacting in their keeping of the law that they would pay tithes even of the little herbs in their window box. They, they were exacting in the littlest, minors, most minor detail. But he said, you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the other undone. This is what it's about. This book is a book about God, who he is. Not what he requires. Not who we are. Not what we do. Not what we do that makes us special in our eyes and we think before God's eyes. It's a book about who he is. Justice and mercy and faith. And so he's teaching Jonah to not look at other people the way he did. And it brings me to my last point, which is Hesed. See that wall back there, that big wooden sign? You can spell it a few different ways. Hesed, oh, if you, if you really, you know, a Hebrew aficionado, it's kind of a Hesed, right? But I'm not, so I won't go there. I have to have a drink of water after just saying that. <laughs> what Hesed is, it's the Hebrew word. It's usually translated loving kindness. And it is, if you want to look at it this way, it is what the Old Testament, what grace would be in the New Testament. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. God's just plain old good to us. He just plain old loves us, and he's just plain old good to us, and it's absolutely unmerited, and you did nothing to deserve it, and you couldn't deserve it, because you are just, I used to have it in my ringtone on my phone, bad to the bone. Right? Bad to the bone. And so any goodness of God is totally undeserved on our part. It's, it's just his good. He's just good. He's just being good to us. And hesed is the word. And I want to show us something. So in chapter 4, in fact, you wrap up the whole book of Jonah in three verses. The last verse of chapter 3, which is verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil ways. And God repented of the evil that he said he would do to them, and he did it not. Okay? And then chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very mad. And then verse 3. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? That's why I fled to Tarsus. For I knew... That you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great loving kindness, of great hesed, and repents thee of the evil. Now, that's why Jonah says that he fled. Where did Jonah get that description of God? 
in Exodus chapter 24, we find a place where when Moses was given the Ten Commandments up in the mountain, and he came back down and he's got the Ten Commandments written and made by God, and he comes back down and he sees the people, and what are they doing? They're dancing around a golden cow. They're having, they're just going crazy, right? And he gets, he just flips out. He gets so mad, he takes the tablets, he throws them down, he breaks them, and he's all flipping out over the people. And Aaron's like, eh, you know, the people, you know, I, I, I got their gold, I put it in the fire, and pop, oh, can't pop the cow, the cow just popped right out, and here we are, and we're worshiping. And um, the people kind of made me do it, and he's like, ay, ay, ay. And then God's just going, oh, this is, I'm going to just wipe them all out. We'll start over again. And Moses intercedes, he gets between the plague that's killing the people and the people. And he says, God, if you wipe them out, then you take me with them. You take me too. And God stops. Again, he repents. He says, all right, I won't wipe them all out because I have Hesed. But he didn't say it right there. And Moses says, if I talk face to face with you, if this relationship is valuable to you, I want one thing from you. I want to see your face. I want to see you. Show me your glory. We know the story. God says, oh, you see my face, you're going to die. Here's what I'll do, though. I'll put you in this little spot in the rock, the cleft of the rock. I'll walk by, I'll show you my back part. That's as good as I can do. And um, All right? And Moses says, okay. And so let me read this little section. That's the lead up so we know where we're at. So in Genesis 30, in Exodus 34 in verse 5 and this is where it's going to happen. And the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God merciful and gracious long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Moses is stuffed in the rock and God walks before him, but he doesn't just show him. He says he proclaimed himself. He proclaimed, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord God. I'm merciful in kindness, in forgiveness, in this is who I am. This is who I am. You want to see me? This is who I am. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm abundant in loving kindness. This is who I am. See me with your eyes. Hear me with your ears. Feel me with your heart. This is who I am. And so Jonah some 700, well, I don't know how many years from him to there. Some years later, a lot of years later, he's asked to go to his enemies to bring the word of God. He doesn't want to go because his nationalistic pride, his holier-than-thou pride won't allow him to go. And the reason it won't allow him to go is because he knows who's telling him. He knows God. He knows about what Moses saw. He knows about what Moses heard. He knows who God is. And he knows what God will do 
Not because he has to. We, we look at things so backwards sometimes it drives me crazy. Now you know why I'm crazy. Well, there's other reasons too. But we have a way of looking at things and we look at the covenants of the Bible and we, think, we interpret it through 21st century through our understanding of covenant. We make our contract law and we apply it to Old Testament covenant. When it, the two are totally different. When you have contract law, you have two parties, they agree on something, they have consideration, they have, they have certain things you have to have to have a contract, and now it's a contract and it's binding. You're gonna do this for me, I'm gonna do that for you. That's a contract. And we apply those understandings to the covenants of the Bible when it's totally different. You know what the covenant of the Bible is? And, and because of that, we tell God, I'm doing my part, you must do yours. You must heal me. You must do this. You must do it. God is not obligated to anything. He doesn't enter into that kind of contract within us. You know what the covenant of God is? It's called the suzerain vassal covenant. It's called when the army of the great king comes up to your little two-goat village, able to crush it, to burn it, to kill everyone, to enslave everyone. And he says, I am going to kill you and burn everything, including your dead bodies. And I give you an opportunity for covenant. You surrender. You submit. You give up. You raise your hands. It is an unconditional surrender. It is surrender and or die. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The covenant we have with God, we have no right to, to, to demand anything. People that have that theology, they, they take one side of a covenant of law decide that if you do the law, if you keep the law, I will do these well, if you kept the law, I guess you can make that claim. But I can't. I have never kept the law. And you haven't either. So our covenant with God is not a covenant that allows us the ability to make demands and say, you fulfill your part. It's a one-sided covenant where all we can do is surrender and our only power to anything our only way of life our only everything we have in him is not based on anything he owes us it is based solely on his love on his mercy on his kindness on his loving kindness on his hesed all we have all our relationship, everything God gives us is not based on anything we can make legal claim for. It's based solely on his goodness and his mercy. And Jonah saw this. He knew this. He knew what Moses saw. He knew what Moses knew. He knew if he brought the word to these people, he knew who God was. Do we know who God is? 
We get wrapped up in our brains and in a a, a way of looking at ourselves and we can't forget yesterday. Some of us forget yesterday too easy and we need to remember a little of it. But some of us are stuck in yesterday. We need to come out, drop some stuff off and realize God loves us. He's not some lightning bolt throwing Norse or Greek cat just capricious in his activity and flinging lightning bolts around. He loves you. He loves you. His goodness is beyond our ability to grasp. His loving kindness is what caused him. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. He paid the price for our sins. He loves us. His loving kindness is so great. His mercy is so good. John, you ready to sing that song? He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, as I cry out, oh, how he loves me. Huh? Oh, I love this song because it, it expresses that. Oh, it expresses the the heart breaking. It's like wringing a sponge. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, oh, I know how unworthy I am. I know how sinful I am. I know how I, I live in yesterday. I know how I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a church folk, prideful, hypocritical person. Oh, I know. But he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. You know... The thing about the thing about uh, Jonah is it doesn't end with a conclusion. It ends with a question. It gets done. It ends with a question. It's you're concerned about a gourd and a plant that gives you a little shade that came up in a day and is gone in a day. Shouldn't I be concerned with a people. Shouldn't I be concerned with a person? Isn't it right that I love the person? Isn't it right that I love them? I know better than you the depths of sin, the enormity of sin, the horribleness of sin, the awfulness of sin. We don't even have a clue to it because we're in it. But God who is out of it can see what it is. But he yet says, shouldn't I love them? Can't I love them, Jonah? Can't I have loving kindness on them? Really, Jonah? Can't I love them? God loves us. His goodness and His kindness is our only thing that we stand on. Nothing more than the goodness of God. But you know what? There is nothing greater than the goodness of God. There's nothing more firm that we could stand on. There's no more firm foundation than the goodness and the loveliness. Hallelujah.